Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Welcome to episode 53 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. This week, I'd like to introduce you to a kindred spirit of ours. Her name is Carol Sovian, and she's a visionary with this phenomenal passion for American craft. I'm so glad that I got a chance to talk to her because something very exciting is going on in her life. She worked for 10 years on this documentary project, and she wanted to basically tell the story of craft in America and by visiting some great schools that offer fantastic training opportunities for budding artists and help kind of nurture that creative spirit. She also wanted to profile some people and tell the story of American craft tradition through the voice of artists actually out there working. The result of this project is fantastic. I got a chance to preview it last week, and I just love it. it. The documentary is called Craft in America, and it airs nationally in the United States this Wednesday, May 30th. If you have any interest in art and craft, or love it even half as much as I do, you won't be disappointed. It features everything from jewelry makers to woodworkers. There's quilting, which I really love the quilting segment. It's a three-part series, and it's long. We're talking three hours here, folks. But it's totally worth it and so inspirational. It's broken into three parts, memory, landscape, and community. And it's going to air all in a row, 8, 9, and 10. Definitely check your local listings to make sure that that's the time it's going to air in your area. And check craftsanity.com for links to the Craft in America website and information about the featured artists. I'm not going to go through naming them all right now because there are quite a few. There's information there about the touring exhibition and a soon-to-be-published book that's going to come out this fall. There's already a link on Craft Sanity website for the preview, so you can see a preview of the series online and it is well done and it will have you feeling inspired to make something so be prepared for that if you don't get a chance to see it this week stick around after the show to hear how you can enter to win a copy of the series on dvd and of course after our contest ends the dvd will still be available online so check out craftsanity.com for some links to find out how you can get this as part of your collection and also check your local pbs listings to see if it's going to be shown again I'll just give you a little more information about Carol. She is a 59-year-old potter and owner and operator of Freehand Gallery in Los Angeles. She's also the executive director of Craft in America. And that's basically why we're talking, because I heard about this wonderful documentary, started doing some research, and was really intrigued by Carol's story. So today I'm going to bring you a chat that I had with Carol last week. She's going to take us behind the scenes of her fabulous film project and tell us a little bit about her personal creative journey. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. I am just so thrilled to have you on Craft Sanity. I think this is just fabulous because Craft in America, this wonderful project of yours, I have to say, I mean, I, I was truly inspired. I mean, I was looking forward to it all day, being able to watch it when I got home from work, and I was not disappointed at all when I <laughs> started to watch it. It was really fantastic. 
Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I really, I, and like I said, you know, I was just feeling like I wanted to make something. Like, I, I, I'm the type of person who I will soak in this type of stuff, and you just feel so inspired to start making something yourself. So um, I uh, did kind of, I had some fabric out by the third episode. I was like, okay, I can't stand this. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the right one, because the third episode is community, and there we are at Mississippi Cultural Crossroads, where there's fabric everywhere, oh, and goodness. everyone's so excited about their work piecing and quilting and some people prefer the, the, the construction of the quilt and some people prefer the quilting of it they could care less about piecing the top together right so you know it's a it's a wonderful craft that many people relate to on many different levels so that was a good episode to take the fabric out for. that was actually what drove me to take the fabric out uh-huh. I love quilting and I was really inspired by that We'll talk a little bit about this project because obviously Craft in America is going to be airing Wednesday, May 30th at 8, 9, and 10 on uh, PBS. And people can check their local listings to make sure that that's the time it's going to air in their in their city. Yeah. But this is something that I'm going to recommend to all my listeners that they – it's a must-see. If you like oh, art and craft, you, so you have to see this because, I mean, the, just the, the way it's filmed, I mean, it makes a chair look almost – the cinematography is so wonderful that the the lines and the shapes and the, I mean it's just it's oh it's like eye candy you know I mean it is. it's very sensuous <laughs> it, isn't it really is and I was just like wow this is just fantastic so I'm so curious I, I think just to start out what led you to to make this I mean this is your your project what this is my project I've worked on it since September of 1996 and I started the project because I took my son who was then 12 years old on a trip around the United States. He was very much into baseball, and we went to several of the stadiums around the country. And, of course, I have been into crafts since 1969. I was first a potter, and then in 1980, I opened my own business in Los Angeles called Freehand, and it is still on 3rd Street after 27 years selling all handmade things. We sell a lot of ceramics and jewelry and glass and wood and fiber, clothing, uh, hand-wovens, just all sorts of handmade things. And I took my son Noah across the country, and I, of course, he had to see the ball games. I had to see craft everything. (laughs) I had to see Powabic pottery. I had to visit Joseph Benyon, who's a potter in the middle of Utah. I had to uh, go to Cranbrook Academy. I went to Haystack Mountain School of Crafts in Maine. In Chicago, we went to the Art Institute, and I saw the wonderful collection they have of, of uh, craft. And all through the country, we did this. Uh, we went to Moravian Tile Works in Pennsylvania. And when I got, and the several artists who I knew from my years of free, at Freehand, I have having represented them. And I got home and I thought to myself, there is a whole world of people who are dedicated to working with their hands and making beautiful objects and it seems a little bit under the radar. Mm-hmm. How can we get more people to know about this? And, of course, this was 1996, so the Internet was starting, but it wasn't, of course, full force as it is today. Right, right. And I thought, television, how do we do this? And so I said, well, first I have to have a plan. I have to have some sort of a proposal. So I sat down and started making lists and lists and lists of of people who should be included, and of movements of the arts and crafts movement, of the studio craft movement, of the work that the WPA did. And I tried to think, because in a lot of ways, craft is also left out of our history books. 
You know, it is extremely disappointing, but that's true. That really, I mean, because it's been a part of the fabric of this country for years. I mean, since people settled here, you know. Exactly. And, and um, yeah, you don't see it represented in the history books nearly. And we are, in America, a unique kind of craft community. Because we start with the wonderful indigenous work that was done by the American Indians, mm-hmm. the weaving that was done both in North and South America prehistorically, the pottery, the baskets, all of those things. And then the Europeans came, and they brought their traditions over the centuries with them. Still, that is the case. Then we can talk about the, 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 the cultures from Mexico and Central and South America that have, have come to this country, as well as the Japanese influence, the Asian influence. So we have a rich cultural history in the craft, and we don't always know it. And it's so it, it's something that all of us can relate to. So I thought, let's see if we can bring some attention to this. So you had the, your idea, and I had the idea, and then um, because and and I, people have said this to me often. It all roads lead to freehand in that I have <laughs> such a wonderful clientele at freehand. A lot of them are in the television industry. A lot of them are writers. A lot of them are actors. I mean, so I had a, a wealth of people to go to and ask advice. And one person in particular named Steve Fenton, um, who lives in New York, actually, and who at the time was working for a very large advertising agency and would often come to Los Angeles. And he would come to freehand, and, and I make little miniature pots, and I haven't thrown pots for a couple of years because I've been so busy with the project. But years ago, I would make these little miniatures, and he came to collect them, always to try to buy them, and I would have rarely have them. So he came in one day when I was there, and I said, I've just fired a kiln. I'm going home. I'm going to bring them in, and you're going to choose. So mm-hmm. I brought in about 100 of them, and he chose about a dozen, and he wanted to pay for them. I said, no, you've waited all this time. I don't want you to pay. They're a gift. So he's the kind of person who can't just get a gift. He's got to give a gift in return. (laughs) And he gave me a huge gift. And what he did was I told him about the project and what I had in mind. He said, let me help you with it. This is what I do. He was was a a vice president in charge of creative services for a very large advertising company. Mm -hmm. And he said, I write copy. Let me help you. And so I gave him the information. I still remember we weren't emailing at that point. We were faxing. Oh, wow. And yeah. I faxed him the information, and he faxed me back, and he said, this is a little stiff. Let me work on this for you. And he <laughs> produced a magnificent proposal. And as I look back on it, he did that in the year 2000, and I look back at the proposal. And the finished film series is very close to those original ideas that we worked out together seven years ago. Wow, that's great. you got to feel good about that. You, I feel like, for some reason, this is, project is blessed. Yes. It because... just is a magical project. It, when things are impossible, they happen anyway. Uh-huh. So that's wonderful. So I took the, the, this beautiful, and it was beautifully made, too, uh, proposal to Kobe Atlas. Her, her full name is Jacoba Atlas. She was, at the time, the vice president in charge of programming for PBS. And she looked at the program. Uh, she, lo- she looked at the, um, at the um, proposal, and she told me later that she said to herself, oh, this is wonderful, but we must have done this already. PBS must have done a series on craft. 
So she went into the archives, and she was shocked to find out. Yes, they had written, they had done programs on certain artists mm-hmm. or uh, certain movements, but they had never done a series on craft. So she said, okay, we like your idea. Now you have to have someone to write the, the, the um, sample episode. You need a crew to film, and you need a sponsor. You need to raise the funding, and we, we need to have all those things in place. Before, well, not the funding, but the, the, who would work on it and how we would do it and what it would be. And she said she would take it to PBS nationally, and she did. And they loved it also. And one thing I want to say, all through the story of this project, there's always along the way someone who loves to make things. So when we heard back from PBS, Kobe said, yes, well, they talked about someone there was a quilter and someone <laughs> else was a woodworker. So it, it's like it, these shepherds have been given to the project all along the way to help it through. Mm-hmm. So we had PBS, and we needed the Corporation for Public Broadcasting for funding, and they were happy to give us some of the funding. It took us about two years to raise the funding and to contact the artists and to get everything in place. And how much funding did you have to raise? We had to raise over $2 million. Wow. It wow. was an expensive project, but I think you see it on the screen. Oh, it was wonderful. I it mean... was shot in high definition, and I could tell you a bit about the directors, uh, two in particular, but there were three altogether. Um, Nigel Noble was the director of the memory episode and Nigel loves the crafts his wife is a weaver and I think one day Nigel Noble will be a weaver yeah he just has a feeling for that particular texture and that that craft that way of working and he approached us and he was told about the project by someone here in LA who heard about it he said I wanted to do a film about Penland School and I didn't and I, I I must work on your project. And meanwhile, Nigel Noble has won an Academy Award. That's fantastic He's to have a, someone of that caliber on your project. Yeah, that he just felt the power of the subject. It speaks to people in a way, and you understand this as well as I do, that other things do not. Right. There's an integrity there, and there's a passion that people sometimes feel is missing in our society. And I know from looking at your um, website that you're in touch with a lot of people who share this passion. Well, and I think it's it's one of those things where a lot of us go to regular day jobs, and you know the thing that keeps me just sane and feeling really grounded in my life and feeling enriched is when I make things and when exactly. I talk to other people who make things. So it's like a language we all understand. Other it, makers understand. We all understand this. It, we don't it, have to explain it to each other. We it, just know it, what it means. There's there's both a satisfaction from it. And a feeling of independence. Mm-hmm. And the feeling of independence, I remember when I first learned to make pots, I thought, well, if worse comes to worse, I can make my own dishes. <laughs> right. There's something about that. Right. That you could make a dish that you could eat out of. Right. So it's kind of like the self-sufficiency. And... It is. It is. So um, Nigel was a wonderful addition. And then the second director, who is a dear friend of mine named Dan Seeger, and Dan and I have been friends since 1969. In 1969, I went on the maiden voyage of the Hudson River Sloop, which is an environmental organization on the Hudson in New York State. The concept behind it was if we build a sloop like they had in the old days, people will come back to the river and they'll see the condition and we'll clean up this river. And that's exactly what happened. Awesome. And this organization is still 
um, going strong after almost 40 years. Wow. So that's really thrilling. But Dan was making a film about the sloop, and it's called The Clearwater, I think. And so I knew he was a filmmaker. And then when I moved to California years later, we became friends again, and he was working in film. And so he was my connection. I said, okay, I need, I need to work in film. I know I want this to be on television. I need a filmmaker. So I went to him, and I must say that he has been so incredibly helpful and generous, helping me to learn about film and actually working with me on the project for almost 10 years till we finally got to go out together and film, which was so thrilling. So you were on every shoot? I went to almost every shoot. If there was an overlap and I couldn't, I didn't. But I went to, I'd say, about 15 of the, at least 15 of the 20 outings, more than that. I would just come home. I would leave on Sunday, and I would, we would go and we would shoot maybe one or two places that week, and I'd come home on Friday evening, and I'd work at Freehand on Saturday, and then Sunday I'd do my laundry and pack up and go. Wow. It was so exciting. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Well, it just seems like an opportunity of a lifetime. To it was. Go and, I, kept, and... I kept saying, I think I just wanted a sabbatical. <laughs> I think I just wanted to travel around the country, which is in my blood, because as small children, we, we traveled a lot around the country, and it, it's such a beautiful, amazing country. So Yeah, there's so much here that, as you, as you said earlier, I mean, I think a lot of us don't even realize what we're missing like if it think but thanks to your project <laughs> i now have all these places on my list of places i want to visit now so it's going to be really great for people to get a chance to see what's out there and Fantastic. just appreciate what's here in the states so it's absolutely wonderful so you did all this filming and then what did you have to do oh, next? there was a third director i must talk about oh, hillary yes, birmingham yes. and hillary did not have a lot of information about craft but I think, and she did the community episode, mm-hmm. but she immersed herself in it. And I think in some ways, not knowing about it, she was able to translate that joy of discovery into the film itself. Mm-hmm. So I was very happy to be working with her as well. And then we had three marvelous editors who really did a wonderful job. And now we're just waiting to see how everyone feels next Wednesday. Well, what, is, what was your response when you got to see the finished product? Well, you know, I was hard to work with at the beginning, and I think <laughs> the directors were probably put off by me because I was so demanding. It was important to me that we talk about all the different issues that we had discussed. It was important to me that the artist be um, respected in the right way. I mean, I think on television nowadays, there, there's so much of it that's reality. Mm-hmm. And I think there's that temptation when you're in someone's home to, you know, maybe take the conversation where it shouldn't go in a way. By that, I mean try to stay on track and realize why we're there. And mm-hmm. everyone was so good at that. And at first, you know, people who are not involved in the field may not understand how important it is, but every one of the directors and everyone on the crew did at the end understand that. I have a perfect example of this. When we went to the Timberline Lodge, which if ever anyone should go anywhere, that's the place. It looks fabulous. It's just a craft heaven. Everything in that lodge is handmade. I couldn't even believe it when I was looking at some of the imagery. I mean, I just, it's amazing. It's It's magnificent. And we, as you know, we we, um, interviewed two men, um, 
who were both in their 90s, uh, Doug Lynch, who did the um, the um, linoleum. Mm-hmm. And he was quite linoleum. emotional, too, about that. I could tell that this was quite a special thing for him. It was. And people said to us, why are you going to film two 90-year-old men? And Dan Seeger was the, was the director. They said, wouldn't one be enough? And Dan said, no, because one of them is the artist and the other is the journalist. And the one who's a journalist is going to tell us what it was like when FDR arrived there to mm-hmm. dedicate the lodge. And that's exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. it was such an important contribution, I thought. So. Well, it worked, it worked beautifully, too. Yeah, I thought so, too. Well, I was going to say, that night at dinner, the young assistant cameraman, the young sound man, uh, all the other crew members could not stop talking about these 90-year-old men. They were so excited. They kept saying what a thrilling day it had been. So I think that, you know, we all have so much to say. Mm -hmm. And it's great when we get to listen to people who know as much as those men know. Well, and I think they're they're living history. Yes, they are. And we won't have access to that. You know, if they're 90, you know what I mean? It's such a, so great that you guys captured that. And because the problem is a lot of times we don't take note of these people that live among us and have these wonderful histories and first-person accounts that, you know, if you wait 25, 30 years, you know, they wouldn't be around to, to exactly. talk to. So I think it's wonderful that you included them in the project. It sounds like this is quite a whirlwind for you to be traveling around, oh, going on these wonderful. shoots. Do you have anything, are there any stories or behind-the-scenes Things that have, I'm sure there were plenty of, of things, but anything that stands out as being one of those moments where you're just like, wow, this is really, I'm just so glad to be here right now. I mean, was there any things that are particularly memorable to you? Oh, there were so many moments. Let me see if I can recollect a few for you. Um, I think hearing Gary Knox Bennett talk about color mm-hmm. and how he uses it and to have go around his loft with him and have him tell us about the different pieces of furniture and where they came from was thrilling. To be near Sam Maloof is thrilling. Just to see this man at age 91 and all that he's achieved and the generosity and the foundation, that's another place if you ever have a chance to go out to the Maloof Foundation, it's really quite a spectacular place. I think to hear um, Jan Yeager talk about the importance of the work that we're doing with our hands was very inspiring for me. To see Dona Look talk about her life and how they've overcome the, uh, the difficulties of Ken's stroke was you know, just a little bit overwhelming. I mean, it was so emotional. Well, that was one um, of the things that struck me, too, about the series, is that it isn't just artists making art and talking about their art and their medium and why they make what they make, but the stories that kind of got... I mean, we got also a look into people's personal lives and how the arts community has supported in the case of the man who had the stroke. I mean, the artists kind of rallied around this couple and they talk about that. And so there's more to this than just a wonderful look at art and craft in in the United States. It's also the people that are part of this and um, what it does to enrich people's lives. And I really thought that was wonderful, the stories that came out. And the quilting in particular I thought was really interesting because you had, uh, you know, there's some scenes of women, very diverse group, sitting there making, just chit-chatting. And it was just such a wonderful slice of life to see women that might not get together 
if there wasn't like a, a you know this this quilt exactly. unifying them and exactly. i love i mean i got chills watching that because i thought geez i want to do that in my community in fact i actually talked to some people today and said you know I really want to start something like that here, <laughs> you know, and it, so it really, I know it just, it hit me and I think this is going to hit other people. I think it's going to be wonderful to see what happens next Wednesday. Yes, I think so too. I'm, I'm excited and a little bit nervous at the same time, you know, to have spent all this time and now to have it be a reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people thought, you know, oh, that's nice. When I would tell them about this project, they'd say, well, that's nice. And now it's <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it's amazing. I think that if you work hard enough at anything, it can happen. That's what I take from, from this experience. And where will you be next Wednesday? Where will you watch I will this? be at my dear friend Kathleen Collins' house. Mm-hmm. We've been friends for 40 years, and she's been a completely supportive of me in every way for this project and she said please will you come and just watch tv so that's what we're going to do well that sounds fabulous and is she an artist as well no she's a wonderful she's a, a writer and a wonderful friend so us uh, writers have that artistic streak as well yes, they so, do. Yeah. they are artists aren't they're, they? they're, well, they're, they're wired the same way yeah yes, they are yeah well you know, I think, I don't know if there's anything that you want people to know about this series, like kind of going into it. Um, obviously, we both have, you, you know, you created this thing and I had, a, the, you know, the benefit of, of already having a chance to see this. But is there anything you want people to know who are going to be um, hopefully tuning in next Wednesday? Yes. I want them to know that this is not the story of craft in America. This is the beginning of the story of craft in America. There are so many people of all ages who love this work, who love working with their hands. And I'm hoping that they find something in the series that they can attach to. And I'm hoping that we get to go forward and make more. So are you planning to make more? Yes, we are. Yeah, what is, what's on tap next? What do you... Well, we have three ideas for the next episodes, and we're in the midst of fundraising now, which is always the hard part. Mm-hmm. But we think it'll be easier than last time. Well, yeah, I think once this gets out and people see... We're in search I... of, a, of a corporate... Sponsor of a corporation who understands how important this subject is, that ha- a corporation with the integrity to be represented and to represent the series. So, do you so, want to share any more about your ideas? Uh, what, yes, we have three ideas. Um, the first one is called Origins, and what we want to do is maybe go back a little further and say, well, where did this all come from? And then maybe the origins of the modern craft movement as well. Okay. And the second episode that we're considering is called Process. And here is where we're hoping to be able to highlight the work of the young people who are coming into the field. That's been an issue all along because on the one hand, we want to present the finest work, but on the other hand, we want the energy and the excitement of of the young people who are coming into the field. Yeah, and one of the most interesting things, too, about what's going on right now is artists for the first time um, now with the the internet being this marketing tool where artists can post their work and there's a global marketplace, which is really interesting. Exactly. And the third episode will be called Crossroads. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Craft in this age with the internet, with computer-aided design, with all of these tools, these new tools. And, you know, what does it mean to the field? What does it mean to all of us who are making things? Well, I'm hooked on all three ideas, so I think that's going to be fabulous. I think that was my, that's my only complaint about the series. When I got done at the end of it, I'm like, 
I want more. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, you know there's so much more to have. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about, you know, those of us who, who love everything handmade, it's like you can't get enough. You know, it's sensory overload on one hand, but at the same time, you like, you just want more. So Exactly. So it's um, wonderful. And, you know, I, I think your, your story is interesting, too, because, and I, if we can maybe switch gears just for a second, you got into, you said, you mentioned that you're a potter. Um, yes. And what led you into the crafts as an individual? Well, I, my major in college was art history. And okay. there was some and senior year. Where did you go to college? I went to a college called Manhattanville College. Okay. And where is and that? And it's in Purchase, New York. It's outside of New York City. Okay. And in my senior year, I was an art history major. We were required to take a studio art class. And so all of a sudden I found myself painting and sculpting and all of a sudden, I wanted to do something with my hands. I wanted to work with clay, I thought. And uh, I was married and did not have a lot of money. And I had met Toshi Seeger on the Hudson River Sloop, and she was a potter. And I asked Toshi, she, I told her I wanted to take a class, but we couldn't afford it. She said, just come to my house, and I'll teach you. So she had a pot shop, and I would go there, and I'm not exaggerating, I would stay there for 12 hours at a time. Uh, so she couldn't I get couldn't rid of you. I couldn't leave that wheel. I loved the wheel. I couldn't learn it fast enough. I loved it. And the thing about it, and I know you feel this as well, it's never ending, the learning. Mm-hmm. There's always something else to learn. And so that, that took up 10 years of my life, being a potter, and it was wonderful. And then I opened my business because I wanted a, pl- a permanent place to sell my work. And what often happens in a situation like that, I became so involved in the business that I no longer had time to make the work. So when Freehand Gallery started, was it just your work? No, it was not. It was always a a combination of artists from around the country, but many from California. Mm -hmm. And so what you found is that you just kind of got sucked into the business side of it. Yes. Um, But it sounds like, though, you love... I mean, you wouldn't have stayed in business for 27 years. No, you know, there's nothing more thrilling than selling this work because first of all you get to work with the artist and know the artist and you see all the pieces as they come in and they're so beautiful Mm -hmm. and then you customers come in and you it's almost like the customer finds the piece right there's that uh, uh, Sam Maloof talks about he says there's a triune between the maker and the object and the receiver and I see that and I'm sort of in the middle there although we often have um, exhibitions and the artists will be there because I think it's really important for the customer to meet the artist. Oh, definitely. So that's been very exciting for me for many, many years. And it sounds like your clientele are very interesting, too, the people who come in looking for pieces. Yes, and some people know nothing and they're just drawn to pieces and other people are quite knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. So it's both. So in a way, you're kind of an educator, too. Yes, in a way. My mother always wanted me to be a teacher. So maybe this is my way of teaching. So when was the last time you had a chance to throw a pot yourself? Well, actually, there's a little boy in my neighborhood who loves to come to my pot shop and work with me. He's eight, and his name is Harrison. And Harrison comes over. He fixed my wheel for me the other day, the little Allen wrench. I needed to fix the thing on my motor, and he fixed it for me. And then he, he throws. Well, I really throw. He's the only child I've ever taught who says to me, I know you really made that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he decorates them and he helps me so I get out there I'm feeling the urge to make some pots now yeah 
Yeah, well, especially Wednesday when you watch this your your project again. Yes, with your I friend. think I'm going to inspire myself. By the third um, <laughs> by the third part of the series, you guys will be quilting or something because <laughs> it kind of has that effect on people. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that's exactly the effect we wanted it to have. Yeah, and it's just it's one of those things where you know, and it, I can tell that. Um, there are people that worked on this project well namely you I mean you had this vision for this and you're a maker yourself and that really comes through because it, it it's not one of those voyeuristic um, reality TV things where you know there's a camera that feels like it's kind of just peering into somebody's life but there's such a level of respect and um, care and, and and it's just really beautiful there are so many scenes where you know there's so many times that I was like oh wow and I, here I am in my living room I have a card table set up in front of the TV so I can like lay out some fabric because I don't normally work in front of the TV <laughs> but I'm like okay I need to I need to watch this but I need to I want to get my fabric out um, I didn't get a whole lot of done with my fabric because I was kind of entranced with this this um, film but I really thought that I mean there's so many times out loud just alone in my living room my kids sleeping upstairs and I I'm like wow like oh, oh wow you know stuff like that and I just was laughing at you yeah, very happy. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, and you know, I and I kind of knew I was going to. Just reading about it on the website, I, I was like, "Wow, this is really fantastic!" So I'm so glad we were able to get in touch so quickly and do a quick turnaround because I'm hoping to, um, you know, get some get this edited and get it online um, by the weekend. I'll oh, have a write up. I'll have a I'll have a write up on it on the documentary before the weekend, but. This weekend, I'd like to, um, you know, get everything edited and get this up so people can can check it out. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, also the preview uh, clip on the website that I can link people to as well. Yes, and also now, if you go to pbs.org and you go to Craft in America, there are lots of outtakes. There are lots of clips that we filmed that have information, technical information and historical information in addition to the series. So that'll be exciting. And then when we have our own website, which will link to the PBS site, there'll be yet more wow. uh, clips. So well, that must forward. be gratifying for you, too, to have some of that the, the stuff you couldn't fit in still yes, getting it, out to we, the public. We had to, we had to find a way to use it because some of it is just so wonderful. Now, now how hard was that? Because it looks like every... every um, as part of the series is about 54 minutes, I want to say. Yes. 50. Now, it how... was very hard to decide. And a lot of that, I must say, especially in the case of Landscape, and Lenny Feinstein was the editor of Landscape, mm-hmm. he just decided how he wanted to do it. And I, I was a little nervous at first, but he got it. He did a great job, so we're very pleased. So is this for you to have a vision like this and then you bring in all these people so, I mean, how many people would you say total worked on this project oh my goodness there's a list of credits at the PBS site I mean we're talking like 50 people or oh more. yeah 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 so when you have a vision and you bring in all these people and some of them you knew for a while some of you didn't you'd never met before um, how scary was that for you to have it was, oh you can talk to the people who were new and they'll tell you how scary it was for them <laughs> because I was so demanding but I learned about a lot about filmmaking, and I think the people who worked on the film happily learned a lot about craft. Uh-huh. And when we were finished, I was complete. I trusted the the crew, and I trusted the the, the researchers, and I think they trusted my vision as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's nothing more frightening than a film crew coming on and finding out that the executive producer cares about being there. It's like <laughs> almost a nightmare at first, but then. At the end, they were saying, well, what do you mean you're not coming to this shoot? We need you there. So it, it turned around. It was fun. It was, it was a way to really experience something unique and fantastic. 
So when you're on, on shoots, I mean, how much input were you giving? Very little. I, I really felt I was there to support the work of the directors and the other people in the crew. You know, I just, I didn't want, sometimes my opinion was asked and I was always happy to give it, but I didn't want to, because I think this, this project required, when it got to the film stage, it required the vision of filmmakers. And it's one thing for me to have a vision, and it's another thing to work with people who have experience and know how to, to make a film that people want to watch. And mm-hmm. I think that each of the filmmakers has told me that they, in fact, like to watch it more than once. So I think we succeeded with that, but I think I had to let go, and they had to, at the same time, accept me. So it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting growth that we both had with each other. Well, how does making a documentary compare to like throwing a pot? I mean, because you're making something, it's just a completely different medium. But do you get the same sense of you know? You do. You get you you feel that you're crafting it, especially when you understand the 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 artistry involved in the actual making of the film. Besides all the technical, which is and all the equipment, mm-hmm. there's also the eye and the vision and the understanding of the project, which has to be translated onto the film. And when we started, we weren't sure how the three hours were going to fit together, having three separate crews, three different themes, very different artists. But there's something that ties it together. Sometimes I, I think it's elusive in a way. I'm not quite sure exactly what it is, but there's, there's a, a, um, a communion between the different artists and the, and the filmmakers. It, it's a much longer process, and there are much more as, many aspects to it than making a pot. Right. If you're going to make a pot, you know you're going to have to wedge the clay and make the pot and trim the pot and, you know, decorate if you're going to, carve it if you're going to, biscuit, glaze it, fire it, and there's the pot. With this, before you can start, you have to have the idea, you have to have the writer, you have to have the crew, you have to have the financing, you have to have a place to show it. Mm-hmm. So it's a much more complicated it's almost more like a computer in a way that you've got all of these different aspects that have to be put in and made somehow made into a program. But it was uh, thrilling all the way. The editing is a uh, craft unto itself, as is the research. How do researchers who don't really know about a subject come on to a project in a matter of months, do very intense and important research? But they do. Mm-hmm. They really do. Well, they're pros, you could tell, because uh, the finished product is, is great. And it sounds like from your description of the difference between that and the other, you know, the, you actually throwing a pot, I mean, it probably, it sounds like it requires a whole lot more patience on the front end because you can't get, roll up your sleeves and really get down to the making of the, <laughs> the film until you have, you know, your financing and your equipment and your crew and everything. So there, it probably, was it hard to, to just be patient? You yeah, know? we have to work on everything at once. Yeah. You have to, you know, the, the number, the the who will participate and uh, where they live and who they are and what they represent both in their work and in their backgrounds. And then once you have that settled, you have to figure, well, how do we work? What artist goes where? I mean, it's all arbitrary. You have to, everyone said to me when I started out, you cannot make a film about craft. It's too vast a subject. And I said, okay, then we're going to pick some themes and we're going to start. Mm-hmm. And that's all we've done. We've only started the conversation. But hopefully it'll help people to understand how important this field is to our country, that it's not a casual thing, that it's not a superficial thing, that the the kind of dedication and integrity and 
craft and knowledge and skill and art that exists in this subject is a national resource. It's an important national resource. And we have to learn how to respect it and how to promote it and how to enjoy it. And so there we go. Well, I think this... The series definitely will set people up for that frame of mind, for sure. I hope so. Yeah, and, you know, I'm curious. There's a lot of, you know, and I know a lot of the guests I've had on my show. Um, my husband laughs because it seems like every time I, I do a show, I, I seem to ask the person um, what they think the difference between art and craft is. And um, and I, I'm interested in your perspective on this because, you know, you're – You've been, you know, this has been part of such a big part of your life for so long, and you see all these wonderful, um, you know, art pieces coming into your gallery, and the craftsmanship, I'm sure, is breathtaking on, you know, many of the pieces. And how, what do you, how do you separate art and craft, or do you even separate it at all? Well, you know, we, we, we were asking that question in 2001 when we filmed at the 50th anniversary of the Archie Bray Foundation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we would ask the difference, but sometimes we would say, what is craft? And I remember Carrie Esser, who is a ceramic artist and a teacher at Kansas City Art Institute, said, craft is what my body knows. And Joseph Benyon in Utah said, craft is art for the body. So Mm -hmm. there's a tactility there, both in the making and the using. Jan Yeager tells a story of writing for the Archives of American Art, and she was interviewing a collector in Philadelphia who collects paintings and jewelry. And she is a jeweler. And the man said to her, no one has ever come into my house and wanted to touch my paintings, but we want to touch these things. And that's a sense that in some ways is disappearing in our society. We're becoming a little bit removed from that, and there's something to be said for that. And and the different materials that you use in the crafts have a different effect on people. Some people like the hardness of metal. Some people like the precision of weaving and the touch of the cloth. Some people Mm -hmm. like the feeling of the clay in their hands. And so I think all of that has to do with craft. And when you take... all of that technique and knowledge and design and you create something, it can be art. And as um, uh, Tom Joyce said in his segment of the series, he said there's no difference between the work I do in my shop and 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 the sculpture I make at the foundry. And he said to me, he said, everything is art. My garden, my organic garden, the house I made, the pieces that I make, it's all art. And so, and that's what um, Martha Longenecker said to me, who is, was the um, creator and the director of the Mingay Museum in, uh, in San Diego, California. I approached her years ago, and I said, the name of my series is Craft in America. And she said, there's no distinction, it's all art. But I think craft has to do with the making, don't you? Well, I think I hear a lot of people, and I know for me when I think of craft, I think of the process too. I think it's really hard to to lump it all into one category, you know. I but think so I, too. But I know when I think of myself more of a crafts person than an artist. Mm-hmm. I do too. And um, for don't me, you find there's a freedom in that. Well, yeah. Well, I feel feel like there's a lot less pressure in that. Yeah. You know, because I weave and I, you know, knit and crochet and um, quilt and do all. I I'm into everything and. I just feel like once you label yourself an artist, 
at least for me, I'd feel like I, w- I wouldn't be quite sure if I was, my shoulders were big enough for that title, you know I what I mean? I know, a lot of people feel that way. But when I, you know, as a craftsperson, I really feel just really liberated to make whatever I choose to make and not feel like I have to live up to this artist title. But I mean, I was trained as a writer. I mean, my, my um, you know, I did a bachelor's in journalism and a master's in English. And, you know, I don't have this, you know, I took a class kind of like you, my senior year, I took a class, a fiber class and mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with weaving. And I was like, I was the editor of my college newspaper and I was all lined up to take a job <laughs> here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, all set to get married too. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, why am I just discovering this now that uh-huh. I love weaving? You know, because uh-huh. I wanted to go back and um, <laughs> do more. And do, well, I would have, if I had it to do over again, I probably would, um, you know, I'm afraid that I would have just thrown everything up in the air and, <laughs> and became an artist, well, you know. You know. Michigan has a very important history in the craft. If you know about Powabic pottery, in oh Detroit, yeah, uh-huh. and the woman Mary Chase Perry Stratton, who started Powabic, started the ceramics program at the University of Michigan, which is fabulous. So, yeah. and I, my son went to the University of Michigan, and I would go to visit him, and I'd go to the library. What do they have in their library? They have a copy of the transcript of the Asilomar Conference which was held in 1957 in Asilomar, California. It was the first conference of the American Craft Council. Oh, wow. And it's 50 years on the, it was the weekend of the 12th of June in 1957 that the conference was held. And it's almost 50 years to the day when this series will be on. And I'm thinking that a lot of what was discussed at that conference, we're still thinking about. And it's so, great it's to get the conversation going again. It's wonderful because I, I think that one of the things too is, as you'd mentioned, you know, a lot of people aren't really aware of, of the rich history this country has in the in craft. And that brings me to another thing I wanted to talk to you about. It with in recent years, there's been all this talk. I mean, the crafts industry, and when we're talking crafts industry, I think you know um, you have big box stores now that have these huge varieties of yarn and all these supplies, mm-hmm. and they're really marketing mm-hmm. this and realizing mm-hmm. that people want this. They want to mm-hmm. buy this. They want to make things. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it is that people are so? I mean, there's like a, it just people are ravenous almost about getting yes. getting these supplies and making things. What do you think has spurred that on? Okay. Now I feel, being 59 years old, I can remember when, in 1969, when I was 22 years old, the feeling in the country, well, in 68, the hippies were in Haight-Ashbury, and they were wearing these amazing pieces of clothing that they had crocheted and painted and embroidered and sewn and knit and, you know, just expressing themselves. And I think that was a reaction to what was going on with the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And there was that whole sort of the youth movement at that time. And it turned to, it went back to nature, and it, it said, you know, maybe all these things that we have in this wealthy country aren't what I want. Maybe I want to be more in tune with my own person and with the environment, with nature. And a lot of people went back to the earth and all of that. And in a way, today, I feel like we're in a similar situation. We have a lot of, of events in our lives that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even seem for a lot of us that what we think about these events matters to anyone. But when we pick up something and we start to make it, we have control over that. And it's, it allows us to express ourselves 
and it gives us sort of, in a way, an alternative to to the status quo, to how things are. Mm-hmm. And I think at different times in our history, when our country is having conflict, we go back to these things because there's something reassuring about them. There's something satisfying about them. Well, it's the complete opposite of violence. Exactly. And I think that, you know, that, you know obviously Vietnam, very violent and horrible, and people here were wanted peace and to make things and adorn themselves in a way that kind of rejected all of the mass-produced. And, you know, so it's interesting to see that we're kind of reverting back to that. And I know for me, it's it's the control. And also, you feel a lot less helpless, you know, if you have that self-sufficiency. You know, I can make my own garment or I can make a blanket on my loom or I can, even though my blanket making can't save the world. (laughs) Well, what what does... Richard Notkin say about that. Oh, is he's he's a gentleman who's yeah. making the ears. Yeah. The Will s- they save the world? But no. But it's that little bit, bit by bit. What you're doing with your website and your blog, that has the potential to reach so many people and make a difference to so many people. Well, what I am convinced, and I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity to do this, but what I would love to see happen is I'd like to get, um, not to exclude men, but I'd like to get women from around the around the world together to make things kind of in like a world peace summit where we just make things. Wouldn't that be great? Really don't have to discuss anything. Like I don't want to talk about politics or our presidents or whatever because the reality is us general citizens don't have, you know, ultimate control of all those things. But I just feel like anytime I get together with people who make things, I just feel like there's this understanding. There's a point of, um, when you have a point of understanding, a lot of times you can work out any kind of, issues or differences because you have this general love for the same types of thing. And exactly. Maybe I'm just totally um, overly optimistic. No, I but think you and I are soulmates in this. Yeah, but People I just... say, how do you, why is this so important? And there's just something so basically intrinsically important about this to me. Like well, it could make a difference, like we could change the world. Well, it just seems to me that, I mean, my earliest memories from childhood was every um, Sunday night, the guys would get together and play cards at my grandpa's house, all the men in the family, and my mom would take my sisters and I over to my great-grandma Case's house, and we would sit around. Um, the, most of the kids would play. I was the only child that would stay with the uh, the elder women in the family, and me, my great aunts, my mom, and my grandma, and all the you know these women around a table, and they would all be drinking coffee, and I'd sit on a little chair and I learned to crochet, and I would listen to them talking about, you know, just the price of milk and gas prices and all these things, but. Um, that really what they spent most of their time doing was just making. They were making things with their hands, and I just felt such a, such a sense of community and just felt like I was part of something really important. Even though I was too small to really understand the issues and topics being discussed, yeah, I but just you, felt like You this, understood the importance of the event. Well, and just the language, this unspoken yeah. dialogue that was going on, that we were all making things. And that shaped, I mean, I think that, that experience really has made me so passionate about the, the stuff I create now and the things and, and I anytime I meet anybody <laughs> I mean I always say oh and so the conversation always goes to well do, do you make are you an artist or crafter do you make anything do you know anyone who does I mean it's just not a question that most people ask because most people ask yeah. well what do you do for a living now where did yeah. you go to school yeah. and I'm like well yeah do you crochet or weave or knit or <laughs> sew by chance you know and I even ask men those questions and, I'll, and I'll, they usually say no but I'll say well what about your wife or you know girlfriend is she into this stuff <laughs> you, well, know? you know as I said earlier it's everywhere 
Yeah. So many people. We, we had no idea. Like, you wouldn't think businessmen. You know what? So many businessmen have wood shops in their basement. Mm-hmm. And want, when they retire, look at Jimmy Carter wrote the prologue for our book. Yeah, book and I think that's fantastic. And he is a woodworker. Yeah. He's friendly with Sam Maloof. So there's a, a sort of a, a, a sisterhood and a brotherhood having to do with this as well. Well, I think what's so interesting about that, too, is the people who go to day jobs, and I have a day job, you know, I go to you know, the newspaper and I write, and, um, you know, it's one of those things where people really perk up because when you they have this thing they do in their off time, like I don't get paid to do these podcasts and uh, this, you know, these other things, but I am so passionate about it that it pays me in ways that money just could never exactly. fill this this you know, passion, um, this this thirst I have for, um, you know, f- to, to know more about um, craft and to be able to talk to people like yourself. But what's so interesting, though, is when I meet other people who go and they have a day job and they, but they have this thing they do on the side that they're so passionate about. It's almost like you can almost see that, feel the heat coming off a person, yes. you know, because they're so excited and so it, it's just energizing to me. It and is. I, I just think it's wonderful. And so when you get people, when people are that passionate about something, um, it's not an option. You can't just not do it. You know, you just can't. I mean, if someone took all my art supplies away and all the fabric out of the house, it wouldn't matter. You'd find something. I would probably start taking my clothes apart. Exactly. Find things. a way to work, continue to work. <laughs> you know, I would. I mean, because it's not an option to stop doing it. No. It's just not going to happen. So no, that's how I am about this project. Because you can imagine, over the ten years, there were lots of times when I thought, "This is not ever possible. How could we possibly?" get something on the television. What got you through those times? I would wake up the next morning and I'd say, let's keep going. It's not so bad. It's, it, as you said, with the materials, I couldn't stop. Yeah. I couldn't stop. And now we're so lucky to have Nationwide and to have Primetime. We've gotten some um, reviews and people are saying, how did an arts program get Primetime? I don't know. There are little miracles all over with this. Do you think just our culture is ready for this now? Like that there is a respect out there that maybe you and I are thinking that people don't respect it enough, but they actually, maybe they do? You think they, so? they just need to know more about it. Yeah. I think they do respect it. Well, it depends. I mean, there's still a lot of people who this is just not in their ken. They just, it doesn't influence them or affect them. But that's the unusual person. Mm-hmm. Usually, no matter who you speak with, there was a quilt in the family. Oh, there was yeah. was a relative who made something. There was a, a class in high school. You know, there were ways for them to try this and just be fascinated by it. And hopefully this will, because the website, our website will have a very good resource uh, section. Hopefully if people do want to, you know, try to do something themselves, if they haven't already, there'll be a way for them to find out information as well. So your your vision is not only to just educate people about, the, about some of the, the people out there who've really made a, an impact on you know the, the history. No, of I want it to be a lot more close to home for everyone. Mm-hmm. I want to find a way, especially the young people. I know there's so many young people doing wonderful work right now, and I want them to like the program. Mm-hmm. I think that the people who really understand the field will appreciate the opportunity to hear these masters speak but there also has a place there has to be a place for them to feel included Mm -hmm. and that's where we hope the website will come in handy and we hope that you know there'll be a way as we go forward we know that the process episode will go to a high school will go to a college and will go to a university as part of it 
Then we'll also be talking about traditional crafts and how people learn from their families or from their location. You know, there'll be, there are places, for instance, Seagrove, North Carolina, where there's a very um, important and vital ceramic um, community, clay, making traditional uh, pots. And we think, you know, people want to know about that. It's exciting. So we're hoping that we can uh, attract and involve people from of all ages. How do you make your selections of who's going to be featured? Because I think that was one of the, it must have been awfully challenging. It was challenging. And for everyone on there, there are five people waiting to be, who are just as wonderful, waiting to be filmed. Mm-hmm. There are just so many wonderful people. We had a difficult problem. We wanted to show the finest work, and yet we wanted to show work that was relevant. And what we now realize is our next goal is to find young artists who are skilled and uh, doing beautiful work so that we can, you know, continue, make, make everyone understand that the field is young and alive and vibrant. Now, I know I have, a, I have a lot of young artists that listen to this show, and if there's somebody sitting there, maybe in their studio, making something, listening to us talk, and they think, geez, I would love to be a part of something like this, are you guys taking, actually, like, applications from people? Or yes, and of- what we'll start with is we have a website. The website has a virtual exhibition, one in clay, one in glass, one in wood, one in metal, one in fiber, and one that is of... Um, emerging artists and so if people want to send us information we're happy to put them on our mailing list we're happy to look at the work and you know maybe they would like to be on the website maybe they would be someone we would consider for the series we're not sure yet but we do want to have as much response we want to know what people think of it what they think is missing what we should do next time, all of those questions, we'd love people to give us answers. Okay, well, that sounds great, and I'll put the word out that you're looking for input, because I think that's a great opportunity for all the folks at home, too, to know that you're in that planning phase, and if they feel very passionately about something, some aspect that should be, they feel should be represented. Sounds like you're open to any suggestion right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I can't wait to see what you do next, because this oh, first thank part, you. you must be, feel very, I mean, you have every reason to be proud of this, because this is really impressive and it moved me I, it really did and I was and I was it was a end of a long day for me <laughs> and I was and it was three hours it was three hours and I finished about 1 a.m. in the morning oh and, my goodness well I'm I thank you so much and I'm so thankful that you made the time for me today oh to I, I love this. talking with you and I have one last question because I, I'm always working on behalf of the people who listen and the artists out there people who are finer artists than myself since I don't even call myself an artist but if people want to send something into your gallery if they want to be I think a lot of the people that I talk to are young and they're just getting started and they're trying to figure out how do they okay. get their work out there. Do you have any advice they, for the budding artists? If they would artists? like to send something to freehand? Yeah, or just any... We would love to have any anyone who would like to submit something. They could send it. Our email address for freehand is email. Email is in the address. Email at freehand.com. Okay. And just send uh, any information, and we'll get back to you. Okay, because I'm always trying to get some... Uh, Things to inspire people. And if they go to our website, they'll have a sense of what we sell mm-hmm. as well. So it's www.freehand.com. Okay. 
And do you have any advice for people if they're trying to decide, if young artists are trying to decide, is it better for them to wait till they've kind of established themselves or feel like they have a firm handle on, you know, found their voice as an artist before they start sending stuff out, or should they just start sending stuff out early when they're in college still? Well, it depends. If they're satisfied with the work, a lot of times it's the technique. The technique needs time. We have to learn to do things right. And sometimes an idea is wonderful and the technique is lacking. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to me that the technique be there as well. Okay. So that's, and that's something that they can, they'll have a sense of themselves. And sure. Then I'm sure there are friends and teachers and mentors who can help them. But it's always good to know how to do things well. Okay. And before I let you go here, I know we talked about the documentary series, and if if someone misses it, and I'll have this interview up on the website after, it'll be there forever, even after Wednesday's air date. But this series is going to be sold on DVD, is that correct? Yes, it's it's available through PBS Shop PBS. It's part of the PBS website. It's available through PBS. And then the book will be published by Random House, and it will be published in October available now as a pre-order on Amazon. Okay. It's called Craft in America, Celebrating Two Centuries of Artists and Objects. And that's something that's going to be a companion to the... It'll be a companion to the series, and it will be really the, com- the gallery guide for the exhibition, which will travel to eight cities. It's now in Little Rock, Arkansas, and this summer in July, it'll go to the New Portland Museum of Contemporary Craft. And then it will go to the Mingay Museum in San Diego in October. And if you go to the Craft in America website, the schedule for the exhibition is there so people can see. And we're hoping that people, when it's in their neighborhood, we hope people will go to see it. Well, I'm excited because it's going to be in Michigan. At Cranbrook Academy, which is such a wonderful place. Yeah, I'm, I always daydream. I look at their website every now and then, and I think, oh, to be a weaver, to be a real weaver. Oh. And, and the history there. Yeah. Of weaving with Aloya Saarinen and Marianne Strangle and so many of the uh, Jack Larson graduated from there. And the director, uh, Gerhard Nodell, who is leaving this year, retiring, is a, has a wonderful piece of weaving in the exhibition. Quite extraordinary. And he's a wonderful weaver. So it's a, you know, schools like Cranbrook reinvigorated the field of fiber in a, a very important way. Yeah, maybe someday I'll get there. I <laughs> I yeah. think about it a lot. It's like I have so many things I want to do. Well, you know how it is, you know. I know. You would also enjoy going to Pendlin for a couple of oh, weeks. Oh, my goodness. I would love to go there. That's on my list, too. That weaving room is magical. I keep a list of things I want to do before I, I kick off, you know. <laughs> and well, you're young. Both places are on my list, you know. If you have a baby asleep right now, you're young. I actually have, um, my babies are with my husband right now, but yeah, I have a one and three-year-old. Oh, so. my goodness. I don't know how you get everything done. Well, I, I basically, I sleep probably not enough, and but I, I run on fumes, you know. I'm just so excited about this stuff that I feel like I it energizes me. So. I'm so glad that I've had a chance to talk with you. Well, Carol, thank you so much. Oh, thank and you And I will be in touch calling. with I you. I love talking with you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it just as as well. So Let's thank you. Stay in touch. We definitely will. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Many thanks to Carol for the lovely interview. It was great fun chatting with her. This was a particularly exciting interview for me because I too hope to someday work on a documentary project. So I figure I kind of got to live vicariously through Carol, even though we've never met and we talked for the first time last week. I 
could not help but latch on <laughs> to her enthusiasm and happiness about this because I really hope at some point in my life I get an opportunity to work on something like that because I, I love hearing the stories behind the craft and the art and, well, as you know, and I'm interested in stories that are even not craft and art related. I just like people and hearing their stories. So uh, congratulations to Carol for her diligence and her commitment to this fabulous project. If you'd like to own a copy of this Craftabulous series on DVD, you can buy a copy or before you do that, if you want to enter the Craft Sanity drawing to win a copy, I'm going to be giving away a copy to a lucky Craft Sanity listener. All I'm going to ask you to do for this is respond to that question that I've brought up so many times, but I never tire of the answer. <laughs> What's the difference between art and craft? And are you an artist or crafter? Can you be both? Please email me a copy of your comment and your mailing address so I can get the DVD to you if you win. The deadline to enter is Saturday, June 2nd. So good luck, everyone. The winner of Dominatrix by Jennifer Stafford is Cecilia Parkinson from Santa Rosa, California. Congratulations, Cecilia. Thanks again to Northlight Books for sponsoring the giveaway. Oh, I'll give you a little preview for next week. I'm going to be back with a delightful chat that I had with Julie Gersild Roth, author and illustrator of the wonderful children's book Knitting Nell. So be sure to tune in for a feel-good knitting story. You're going to like this one. I had a great time chatting with Julie. Okay, everyone. Have a great week. And don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. 